When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did this. This is the word of the Lord. Just last month, there was a new show that opened in Vegas called A Mob Story. It's the story of how the mob built Las Vegas and then how Las Vegas took down the mob. The host is a man named Michael Francis. Michael is a very interesting man. He's 67 years old and he is the only high-ranking boss in the mob to ever publicly walk away and live. Whenever you leave the mob, you do so usually under a witness protection program of the government or you leave in a body bag. Michael publicly walked away almost 30 years ago now, but he understands the mob. His father is Sonny Francie. Sonny is now 100 years old and a couple of months ago he got out of prison. He has spent more than 50 years of his life in prison. When Michael was 22, Sonny was in prison And he went to his father and said that he wanted to enter the family business. His father helped to make that happen. For a year, he was on probation. And at 22 years old, he was a made man. Once he was in the mob, he really began being creative. And he devised a scheme for the Colombo family where they were skimming taxes off of gasoline. And they managed to do this in a way that they were making between 8 and $9 million a month. They were bringing it in. He made more money for the mob than anybody since Al Capone. He was bringing it in. And as a young man, he suddenly had anything he wanted. He had his own private jet airplane. He had his own private uh, uh, Bell helicopter. He had whatever car he wanted to drive, eating at the fanciest sort of restaurants. Whatever he wanted... He had it. It turned out that he, in 19, when he was 34 years old, he was helping to produce a movie down in Miami. And as while he was there producing this movie, he saw this young lady. She was in her early 20s. Her name was Cammie Garcia. She was a real lady of faith. She was a dancer. He wanted to get to know her. He invited her out on a date. She said yes. And then she stood him up. He asked her again and he stood her up again. She stood him up again. She did that five times to him. But he found he was becoming more and more smitten by her. Now Michael had always pledged himself three things that he would never do. He wouldn't drink. He wouldn't do drugs. And he'd never fall in love. He felt that way he could always be in control. But now he found himself falling in love. 
In the end, he did fall in love with Cammy, she with him. In the end, they would get married. She had such a faith that really began leading him into faith, and he grew in faith. And because of a love for a woman, and because of a faith in Christ, he would walk away from the mob. He would walk away from it all. The only one to ever do that and to survive. Now what fascinated me about the story was, as I started thinking about, here's what's happening in real life, and I thought, that really is the theme of this comedy musical on Broadway of Guys and Dolls. That really it is because of love of a woman and of a faith in Christ, your life can be turned upside down. This morning, I want to continue on with the sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway. And each week, we're trying to look at musicals and see their themes and see the themes that we believe are proclaimed in our scriptures. And today, I wanted us to look at Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls first hit Broadway back in 1950. The whole idea originated earlier than that by a writer named Damon Runyon. He's a very famous writer, wrote many short stories. He had written the story, The Idol of Miss Sarah Brown. It was Abe Burroughs and um, Frank Lesser who would take that story, they would expand it, they would write the story, and then Frank would write all the lyrics and the, the melody, and they put together this musical, Guys and Dolls. As I say, it opened on Broadway in 1950, and it was a smash hit. It would win five Tony Awards, including Best New Musical. It would run for over three years for 1,200 performances. It had been such a hit that it was Samuel Goldwyn who decided he wanted to make it into a movie. And you may have seen the movie that came out in 1955. Marlon Brando, Gene Simmons, Frank Sinatra, Vivian Blaine. I mean, it was another big smash. It would open at West End in, Broad in London. It would go on lots of tours around the country. I've seen it down at our own music hall here in Oklahoma City. It is played in countless high schools and community theaters still to this day. In 1992, there was a revival on Broadway. The fascinating thing is that after 42 years, when it reopened on Broadway, it would win the Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical, and it would run over three years, 1,142 performances, just shy of the original run. It's almost like the message of this musical seem to speak to any generation years and years as they go by. It's all about love and about faith and how it can change the way that you look and the way that you live life. If you don't remember the story or if you haven't seen it, let me give you the storyline. You have Nathan Detroit. Nathan Detroit in the 1930s well, he runs a floating crap game. He's always looking for a place to hold a crap game, and you have the police who are always trying to hunt them down, putting on the heat there in Broadway. Well, he has a girlfriend, Adelaide. They've been engaged for 14 years. 14 years. 
She's ready to get married. But there's some reason that Nathan always finds not to get married. Now, what he didn't know was Adelaide has her mother back in California, and she's been writing and talking about how they have gotten married, and then they had a baby, and then a child. They got six kids now, her mother thinks. She just keeps wanting Nathan to give up doing the crap game, to get married, to have a good life. Well, Nathan sees Sky Masterson. Sky Masterson is a big gambler. He will bet as high as the sky on anything. And so Nathan suckers him into a bet. I bet you couldn't take a woman of my choosing to dinner. I can take any woman to dinner. What if you had to take her to dinner in Havana, Cuba? And not a problem. Fine, there she is. And he points to Sarah Brown, Sergeant Sarah Brown. She's in the Save a Soul mission, marching the streets there in New York, trying to win people to Christ. And you can tell she's really maybe a little uptight. She's rather prudish. And now he's supposed to take her to dinner in Havana. He knows he's got a problem. So he goes to the Save a Soul mission to meet Miss Sarah Brown, to invite her to dinner, and she is not interested at all, but there's a problem. No one's coming to the mission, and because no one's coming to the mission, they've about decided to close it down. And so Skye sees the opportunity and says, I tell you what, if you'll go to dinner with me, I'll get you 12 genuine sinners. Twelve genuine sinners for your prayer meeting tomorrow night. As much as Sarah hates it, it really does sound like a good idea, and so she agrees to go to dinner. The next day at noon, they hop on a plane, they fly to Havana, and there they go to dinner, and then they hop on a plane for the red-eye back, and they're back by 4 a.m. in the morning. They've had a wonderful time. You can tell that there is chemistry Love is beginning to grow. They're walking down Broadway at four in the morning. They're almost back to the mission when suddenly there are sirens and commotion and here come all of Skye's friends, these gangster friends running out of the mission as the police are headed that way because they've been having a crap game in the mission. What they realized with Scott, with uh, Sarah gone to Havana, with Nathan, what a perfect place to hold a crap game. No one would look for them there. As I saw that scene unfolding, I couldn't help but think. Here are these men in this mission, down on their knees, throwing their dice, without any understanding of the place where they are. A place of worship a place that brings hope, a place of faith. And I couldn't help but think about our scripture lesson and think about four Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross gambling, throwing dice for Jesus' seamless robe. We know there were four soldiers. Four soldiers were always assigned to someone who was going to be crucified. It took that many to make sure everything stayed in line, to nail someone to the cross, stand them up. They'd already divided his clothing. Each person had gotten one piece. But Jesus had a seamless robe. It says, woven from top to bottom, without seam. The words that John uses to describe this seamless robe 
are also the exact words that are used to describe the robe that is worn by the high priest in ceremonial events. Now, that's something John would know. It's something the readers of his day would catch, that language. The high priest. The high priest is a person who is supposed to be a bridge between the people and God. John was creating this image here for us that Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who creates a bridge between us and God. He is the one who reveals the nature of God. He is the one who helps us to see how does God love. And so what we have is this bridge, the high priest, the one who has come on the cross. And you have the men at the foot of the cross throwing their dice, gambling for his robe without any understanding of what's going on right above their heads. Now, one of the questions that people have wondered down through the millennium is, who won the robe? How did it affect their lives? The Roman soldier who won the robe, how did it affect them? We do not know. But many people have speculated. It was Lloyd C. Douglas years ago who wrote a book entitled The Robe. Talking about the Roman soldier who there throwing craps at the foot of the cross, they won the robe. How did it affect their life? It's not that there was anything magic about the robe, but now that you had the robe and you begin to think about what happened on the cross, what did that do to your life? They made a movie called The Robe in 1953. Um, it, went out, it was very successful. It's interesting that the lady who had the lead was Gene Simmons, who was going to be playing the part of Sarah Brown in 1955. She played this other part in 1953 in The Robe. We don't really know, but there is an understanding that whoever may have won The Robe would be required to think about what happened on the cross and how did that change your life. When you think about the men in the mission and they're gambling, throwing their dice without any thought about where they are and what it's going to mean, yet because they were there and because they would be coming back to a prayer meeting, something began to happen. Not magic, because they were there. And it would change the life of Nathan and Sky and nicely, nicely. It would be love and faith that would turn their lives upside down. And I believe it's when you and I walk in love and in faith, it does something to the way that we want to live life. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And what I want us to do is I want to look at three songs from the Broadway show and see the message that is being brought. First of all, after Sky and, and Sarah have gone out, Uncle Arvide, who's also in the Save a Soul mission, can certainly tell that Sarah is smitten. And he begins to sing a song to her, More I cannot wish you, than to wish you find your love, your true love, this day. 
he sings the song and then she's going, I don't want to love. I don't want to love. And he says, Sarah, the greatest gift a human being can have is to love and be loved. The greatest gift you can have is to love and to be loved. I believe that every human being hungers for that. Everybody hungers to love and be loved. We try to fill that need with many things in our lives. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's success. Maybe wealth, power, material things. It can be many different things we try to fill. But what we really want is to love and to be loved. Now, I certainly believe this is the love that we find between a husband and wife, but it is more than that. It is the love that can be between a parent and a child, and a parent and a grandchild, between a brother and a sister, between friends. To love another human being, to be loved, it is what we hunger for and gives our lives meaning. When Michael Franchise was being interviewed, they were asking him, you know, you had everything that people could imagine, the amount of wealth, all the things you had, you had any woman you want, you had it all. And now you've walked away from everything. Do you ever think about wanting to go back? Is there anything you miss and he said, I don't miss all those things. He said, the only thing that I sometimes think about was the camaraderie we had among the guys. He said, we were tight-knit. We had each other's back. There was a sense of camaraderie. And that was very special. Everybody wants to feel like there's camaraderie that I belong, that I'm with somebody. I think about Jesus and the disciples, these 12 men who had left everything and followed Jesus to see all the things they saw, to travel, to do, the camaraderie that must have been among them and how painful that must have been when he left them to love and to be loved. And when we talk about love, what we're talking about is when we are willing to sacrifice for somebody else's well-being. When we think about somebody else's happiness before we think of our own. When we're willing to think about someone's joy and willing to give up something in order to bring them happiness, that is love. And maybe a great question to ask yourself this afternoon is, when was the last time that I was willing to sacrifice for somebody else? When was the last time I thought of somebody else's well-being before my own? That my first thought was, what can I do to make somebody else smile? No joy. If you can't come up with those moments, then maybe we haven't been focusing on what it means to love and to be loved. 
It was Christ who was on a cross as the men gambled at his feet who did not understand what was going on above their heads as Jesus was willing to sacrifice for our well-being so we might understand God's love. More I cannot wish you than to wish you find your love. Secondly, one of the really popular songs that comes from the show is Luck Be a Lady Tonight. What a tune. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck if you've been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Frank Sinatra helped to make that one so famous. It really comes in the show where Skye now needs to deliver on 12 genuine sinners to the mission. Sarah's gone with him for dinner in Havana. It's now the time for the prayer meeting. Can he deliver on his part? And so when they were found gambling there in the mission, they all came running out that night. But Big Julie, this gangster from Chicago, he had lost a lot of money. He didn't want the crap game to end. And so they found another place down in the sewer there below Broadway under the streets in New York. So the crap game kept going on. And so Skye goes and finds all of his friends still in their dice game. And he says, look, I just need 12 of you to come with me to a prayer meeting. Would anybody be willing to go? There are no takers. And so he comes up with a different idea. I'll bet each of you $1,000. I'll bet you $1,000 on the roll of the dice. If I lose, I'll pay each of you $1,000. If I win, you got to go to the prayer meeting tonight. He was rolling for their souls. And it was rolling for everything. And it wasn't really just for them. It was also for Sarah to be willing to sacrifice for someone that he now loved. And so as he's waiting to roll the dice, because it's going to be the biggest roll of his life, he has the dice and he's shaking. He's singing, luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. And he rolls the dice. And the next scene are all of these men walking into the mission. They come in and they take their seats and Nathan invites them. Who would like to stand up and have a testimony and just tell us how bad you are? (laughs) Finally, it's Harry the horse who stands up and he says, well, I'll tell you how bad I was. He says, I mean, when Sky was rolling for our souls and the leader says, excuse me, what? Well, he, he, he was put out $1,000 against our souls to roll tonight. Ah, how lucky to win their soul. And I thought, the truth of the matter is, it isn't about luck. It's about grace. You don't get lucky for your soul to be saved. It's grace. It's a free gift. It was Christ on the cross already given you a gift. You've won. It's not about luck. That's the gift of God's grace. It's just sometimes you and I aren't ready to receive it. It's already been offered. It's free. It's not about luck. For Michael... Michael left the mob, married Cammie, 
They started their family. But the government was still after him. I mean, it was estimated that his scam through the Colombo family may have netted the, uh, the, the mob over a billion dollars. A billion dollars. And so they were still trying to bring him up on racketeering charges. But Michael, now married and growing in his faith, decided to plead guilty. Pleaded guilty, paid fines. And so, yes, there was a plea deal, but they still sent him to prison. He'd be sent to prison for about seven years. And they put him in solitary confinement, a six-by-eight cell. And when they put him in that cell, he wasn't sure that he could do it. To live each day for that long without seeing anyone? And he found himself lying on the floor and crying out, Oh God, if you really are there, please help me. And he would tell you as in those moments there in this solitary confinement cell that he began to feel God's presence, a strength from beyond himself to enable him to do what he did not believe he could do. As he began reading his Bible, as he began growing more in his faith, his mantra, his favorite scripture became Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm not going to tell you what it says. I'm going to let you go home and look it up this afternoon. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's what gave him hope. And to find strength in the midst of being in a solitary confinement. God's grace had always been offered. But you got to be ready to receive. It isn't about luck. It's grace. A free gift. The good news is you've already won. And so third, after Skye and Sarah have come home from Havana, it is four o'clock in the morning. They're walking along Broadway back towards the mission. And Skye starts singing the song, My Time of Day. Funny thing is, Frank Lesser, who wrote this, that was his time of day. He liked to get up at four o'clock every morning. He'd write from four to eight o'clock. That's when he could be creative is my time of day. And that's exactly what the song says. I like this time of day when it's quiet. When everybody isn't around. When it's peaceful. You really have a chance to think. And so he's singing my time of day as the two of them are walking along. You can tell they've had this meaningful time. Love is growing. And suddenly Sky stops and he says, Obadiah. What? Obadiah, what does that mean? Obadiah Masterson. That's my real name. I've never told anybody that before. And then he breaks into the song, I've never been in love before. Obadiah. Now, sky, Masterson, I'll bet as high as the sky. That's a name. But who am I? 
I'm Obadiah. Do you know what Obadiah means? Servant of God. And it's actually the shortest book in the Old Testament. To me, this is the most important part here in the movie, I mean in the Broadway play, and the fascinating thing is it gets cut in the movie. And I think that changes some very important things about what it's really all about. In the Broadway musical, this is what it's about. What does it mean to be real? I'm not Sky Masterson. I'm Obadiah. Can I be real? Can I tell you who I am? I believe that every human being wants to be known for who they are. To be real. And being real doesn't mean I'm just trying to tell you all my bad things. Being real means I can tell you my dreams and my fears. My hope and my pain. My success and my mistakes. Can I be real? Every person wants somewhere that they can be real, to be known. And what does that bring? I think it brings an incredible freedom and joy and a sense of peace. It changes things. And what you see is Sky and Nathan changing, not to suddenly go, okay, now I'm going to do the right thing. I'll be good, and it sure is miserable. No, it brings them great joy. When Michael Franzee was being interviewed and they said, is there anything that could ever get you to go back to your life in the mob? And he said, absolutely not. I have found my joy with the love of family, with my faith in Christ. I have found life, what I was looking for. It's when you and I discover what does it mean to love and be loved. It's when you and I can be real. When we can walk in grace, it actually leads you to life in a meaningful way of joy. For Sky, he marries Sarah. In the Broadway musical, they get married. And they get married and just as importantly... Sky goes to Arvide, Sarah's uncle, and he says, the next time we go out, can I beat the drum? He wants to march in the parade. It is symbolic. I want to beat the drum. I want to proclaim the message about God's grace because of the joy that it has been bringing into his life. You have Nathan. Suddenly Nathan now owns a newsstand on Broadway. He's selling newspapers and magazines. He's given up the, uh, the floating crap game just like Adelaide wanted him to do. After all these years, he now has his own newsstand and he and Adelaide are about to be married. And it's Skye who goes to Nathan and says, Nathan, I'll bet you eight to ten odds you're going to be happy. More I cannot wish you 
than to wish you find your love. To love and be loved, to be real, to experience the gift of God's grace. When you and I do that, I'm willing to bet you eight to five odds you're going to be happy. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.